listen to these words from the book of Hebrews, and there are some lines in this just trigger warning. Uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews that I'm about to read you has a couple of lines that may make you think like, oh, they're kind of going to make you cringe a little bit, and that's okay, right? Like, we're all humans, we can deal with some things that people said in ancient times that are difficult for us to swallow. So I want you to hear the heart behind what is being read. Don't get, don't miss the forest for Hebrews. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, starting loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been host to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. Marriage must be honored in every respect, with no cheating on the relationship, because God will judge the sexually immoral person and the person who commits your way of life should be free from the love of money. And you should be content with all that you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. I feel like we can never have enough get caught up in this cycle of wanting more and more things and we forget what is really important that we already have. Over, right after Christmas, my family and I, like my whole family, my parents, my brother, his kids, his wife, like all of us went to Disneyland and it was amazing, but as soon as we left, I was like, let's do it again. They just want more, you know what I mean? When I go fly fishing, it's like, as soon as I step out of the river to come home, I'm like, I just want to do this again. Like, can't I just do this again right now? Like, can we rewind the tape and back up and let me do it all over again? I just can't get enough. I, I just constantly am wanting more things. The story of Adam and Eve, in my estimation, is about a couple of people who had everything laid before them. They had, like, everything they could ever want to eat. They had everything around them. They had this peace, this tranquility, this beautiful place to be. They had such an experience with God that they could literally hear God walking through the garden toward them. They had it all until they realized there was one thing they didn't have. And that discontentment, that desire for more, really, really ate them up until they had to reach out and grab it. And we today are still suffering from this perception that they had that something was lacking in their lives and they needed more. And I think we all have that same feeling sometimes. The lie of scarcity becomes the defining perception of reality. But when we see the world through eyes of scarcity and greed, it robs us of the good and the joy and the lives that we already have and the gifts that we've already received from God. I wonder what it would be like if we would take 30 minutes this week, just 30 minutes, to watch TV. And you're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll probably do that for five, you know. So 30 minutes to watch TV with intentionality, of paying attention to the commercials. What are 
the stories that the commercials are telling you. If you will buy this car, your life will be better because your neighbors will be jealous of you. Right? If you have this insurance, you won't have to worry because they got your back and will protect you no matter what. If you just get this kind of toothpaste, your dentist will like you even more, right? <laughs> the stories that we hear through, the, through commercials, whether it be TV commercials, whether it be ads on Snapchat or Instagram, or whether it's something we see on Facebook, or if you still read magazines and are flipping through a magazine, the advertisements will take 30 minutes, I'll bet you we can catch how they're trying to trick us and make us feel like we don't have enough, that we would reach out for that fruit on the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that we don't have enough. We would think that. We'll believe that. And if we can catch them doing it, we'll be more aware of what we actually have. Since the 1950s, the average American home has tripled in size. Over 36% of Americans are clinically obese because we want more food on bigger plates and we want it faster, therefore it's less quality, and we just keep eating it and eating it. There was a study in 2010 from Princeton University that talks about that there is a correlation between income and happiness. Anything below $75,000 causes us to have a little bit of stress just because of cost of living in the United States continues to go up and up and up. But once you hit that $75,000 threshold, your life joy starts to go down. Your relationships and the impact that they have on you starts to decrease. There is a direct correlation that happens somewhere around $75,000. But we all want to be the ones that are making $10 million a year. Or if you're Patrick Mahomes, 205. <laughs> I have these friends, Addie and RJ Barnett. I hope they're not watching on Facebook right now. They are the most generous people I have ever been around in my life. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their talent. RJ is an amazing artist and he will draw and cut stamps out of rubber and make all sorts of things and not even sell it, just to give it away because he wants to make the world a few more beautiful place. Addie stays at home with her five sons, imagine. And she stays at home with them and homeschools them because she wants to have that kind of relationship. Now, no shame for those of us like me who send our kids to public school. I love my kids, but I don't want to be around them all day every day, just saying. <laughs> they don't want to be around me either. But because they're a one-income home, and the work that RJ does of being a house father at a halfway house for teenage boys who are struggling through life and doesn't get paid much, Addie makes almost all of their clothes. So that the money they do have, they invest it in relationships and in making the world a better place. They would invite us over to have dinner, and whatever they were having, we were eating also. Whatever those five little boys wanted to have for dinner, that's what I was going to be eating. And I don't like little kids. <laughs> They're amazing. And I can't stand them because they've lived out their values in a way that I don't always.
always have the courage to do. You know what I mean? Do you know those people who are just annoying because they really live it? That's adding Arctic. The first time I ever heard of the Shakertown Pledge was through Addie and RJ. I was leading a Bible study. I would do it like on Tuesday mornings or something. It was always a Bible study over what I was going to be preaching on the following Sunday. And Addie is a, a, of course, she's a biblical scholar for real. And so she would come to this Bible study and she one day mentioned the Shakertown Pledge. And so I looked it up. This is the Shakertown Pledge she and her husband tried to live by. It was written on April 30th, 1973. It says, recognizing the earth and the fullness thereof as a gift from our gracious God, and that we are called to cherish, nurture, and provide loving stewardship for earth's resources, and recognizing that life itself is a gift and a call to responsibility, joy, and celebration, I make the following declaration. There are nine of Number one, I declare myself a world citizen. Number two, I commit myself to lead an ecologically sound life. Number three, I commit myself to lead a life of creative simplicity and to share my personal wealth with the world's poor. I commit myself to join with others in reshaping of institutions in order to bring about a more just global society in which all people have full access to the needed resources for their physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual growth. I commit myself to occupational accountability. and so doing, I will seek to avoid the creation of products which cause harm to others. I affirm my gift, I affirm the gift of my body and commit myself to its proper nourishment and physical well-being. I commit myself to examine continually my relations with others and to attempt to relate honestly, morally and lovingly to those around me. I commit myself to personal renewal through prayer, meditation, and study. And lastly, I commit myself to responsible participation in a community of faith. They're the kind of people, my friends, Addie and RJ, that when they pledge to do something like that, they do it. I wonder what it would look like if we, together, did some experiments and tried some new things. Like, I wonder what would happen if this week we committed to fasting. And I don't mean like, don't eat food for a week. Maybe, maybe that's your calling, like 24 hours, I'm not going to eat food. But it could be something like, I'm going to fast from caffeine. A few years ago, like the February before I moved here, I had this, well, and then the first year that I lived here also, I was doing monthly challenges to myself. So the month of February of 2017 was no caffeine, no complaint. Guess how that went, Paul? <laughs> I hated it. Maybe we could fast from caffeine. Maybe we could fast from complaining this week. Maybe we could fast from media or food or maybe just meat. Maybe we don't watch movies. Maybe... Uh, we don't read any books. If you're a person that just kind of always has your nose in a book, maybe you put the book down and start talking to more people. Maybe we fast from whatever it is that you are like constantly finding yourself in. Dallas Willard is this great author and theologian, and he suggests that fasting helps prepare us to do good. 
I used to think that fasting was one of those things where it's like, okay, God, I want you to do this for me, so I'm going to fast and leverage you and leverage this relationship to get you to do like a hunger strike almost. You know what I mean? And that's not what fasting is. And I used to think fasting was, I really need an answer to this prayer. I, need, I have a decision to make, and I don't know what to do, so I'm going to fast until I get the answer. That's not really what it is either. Fasting is creating margins in our life, like narrowing down the things that we do and creating space on the edges of our lives so that we can hear the voice of God and feel the presence of God more and more. And that prepares us to do good in the world. First Timothy 6, 6 through 7 says, Godliness with contentment. Is a great game. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul's expectation to Timothy, his partner in ministry, was look, if we've got food and we've got clothing, we've got all we need because the grace of God is sufficient for everything. But I can't get satisfied. I don't know about you all. I always want more. And so one of the games I play with myself is I compare everything I want to saltine crackers. Because you know what I've never said? You know what I really want right now? Is another sleeve of saltine crackers. <laughs> like I can eat four or five saltines and I'm good for a long time. You know what I mean? Like It's not a snack that I crave. It's not something that I'm looking for more of ever. If somebody's got a tray of meat and vegetables and saltines, I'm going for the meat and vegetables. I'm probably going to leave the saltines there unless they match up with the sausage. But then it's about the sausage, not the saltines. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I need these new clothes. Well, did I need them, need them or are they like saltine crackers where I get it and I'm just like, that's not enough. Like, whatever, I need more. Like, it's not valuable. The things that we go after aren't valuable because oftentimes the stuff we have gets in the way of the stuff that is most important. My kids arguing over who's wearing whose shorts to what volleyball tournament is not important. And I'm going to give them a pass because they're kids. But sometimes we do the same thing. It may not be over spandex volleyball shorts, but it could be over something else that just isn't important. In the grand scheme of things, it's not important. The important things we have in an used to be part of, um, we tried this experiment, we heard about it and we tried it, and I'll write about it and send it to you in your homework for this week. It's called Have to Give One. And we took about seven to 14 days, I can't remember if it was a week or it was two weeks, we used to do all kinds of weird experiments, and they were always around that long. But we took a week or two, and we went through all of our closets, and all of our drawers, and all of our garages, and all of our stuff. And if we had two of the same thing, we gave one away. So, like, you, obviously we need, well, I don't need, but I need dress shoes, but I can't wear my dress shoes to go work out in. So, but do I need two pairs of shoes to work out in? Not really. So if I have two pairs of shoes to work out in, I should give one away. Because somebody needs that. I have more than my fair share. Somebody needs it. Do I need more than 
two pairs of dress shoes. I probably don't even need two pairs of dress shoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I went through my closet. I remember going through my closet during this how to give one experiment that we did. I had jackets in there, Tyler, from when I was in middle school. <laughs> I kept them. My kids were now, but <laughs> like I actually did have jackets from high school. They didn't fit me, and even if they did, I wasn't about to wear them again. So I gave them away. Because who needs more than one coat? Because there are people who don't have a coat. Because I've got theirs. <coughs> have to give one. And if we couldn't sell it and give the money away, we shared it with people who need it. And if we couldn't find somebody who needed it, we took it someplace the, like Goodwill or the Lighthouse clothing uh, closet, places like that that would take it and give it to people who knew that they needed it. And if we couldn't find a place that would even take it because it was just kind of junk, we just recycled it. And we downsized all of our stuff. And I'll tell you what, I replaced almost all of it. Sometimes these sermons like this are hard to preach because it's like, Oh, a preacher was telling me I've got too much stuff. I need to give all my stuff away. I'm not trying, I don't want anybody to leave here feeling guilty. I do not want that for you. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty about anything. So if you are, I'm sorry, that's not what I'm trying to do. And maybe you need to wrestle with God a little bit over that guilt. All I want to do is say that sometimes we get caught in this trap of wanting more and more things, and we aren't living in real freedom. And we miss out on the real gifts that are all around us, which are the relationships that we can have with other people, and the freedom that comes from living a more simple life. But we have to be intentional in doing that. Jesus says that he came to give us life and give it to us in fullness. Paul talks about that we have freedom in Christ, that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think sometimes we take that permissiveness to the extent that it's not beneficial to us in our faith formation and in growing in our knowledge and understanding of the love of God in our lives and in other people's lives. So my hope and my prayer is that in the name of our Creator, Redeemer, sustainer, that we will start walking in freedom, that we'll start recognizing the abundant grace that God has given us through relationships and friendships, and that we'll recognize that sometimes what we're really chasing after is like chasing after a bunch of saltine crackers, and that in the process of realizing that, we would walk in faith and find a life that really is life. Join me as we remind one another what it is that we believe by reciting the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe.
forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of